You're listening to Ignoring the Ordinary, a podcast from Wiser with Tom Patterson. At Wiser, we believe when people have the courage to ignore the ordinary and do things differently, amazing things can happen. The most innovative and creative ideas come from challenging the status quo. Ideas that can transform industries, shift mindsets and bring real change to the world we live in. Refinery29 has Ignoring the Ordinary baked into their DNA. Founded in November 2005, this digital media company designed to cater specifically for the modern woman is like no other that has come before it. They have helped shift the cultural conversation around diversity and representation in the media with a wide range of very real initiatives. Their Money Diary series has helped lift the cultural taboo around talking openly about money and spending, and they remain a trailblazer in flexing content to target different audiences across long-form feature, original video, and live experiences, to name just a few. I'm here to talk with Samantha Yu, Senior Director for Strategy and Client Services, whose seven years at Refinery29 spans across both New York and London and the editorial and commercial side of the business. We'll be discussing how Refinery29 has gone about building such an incredible cultural presence in its 14 years and why ignoring the ordinary has been so important for its success. Samantha, thank you so much for joining us. It's lovely to have you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. (laughs) Well, why don't we start with a little bit about where your interest in media comes from? I guess talk about ignoring the ordinary and doing things differently. My path to media was not a direct one. Mm -hmm. I studied sociology at undergrad um, because I was interested in um, organizations and leadership and understanding human connections and relationships um, and how that's tapped into culture and society. But then after graduating, I moved to New York to pursue dance, which I had studied since I was a kid. And I had um, taken a year off from college to train in in Boston and New York and L.A. So I moved to New York after graduating to do that, but had also been a fan and a reader of Refinery29. Um, And then I saw that they were looking for editorial interns and thought that that would be a really fun non-committal, two-day-a-week, like kind of part-time thing to sign up for. And then seven years later, here I am, which is kind of crazy to think. So I joined the company as an editorial intern um, writing for the site and then came on board full-time working for Christine and Piera, our editor-in-chief and executive creative director directly, um, which was amazing because that gave me really great insight into our tone of voice, our visual voice, how we make content, um, as well as how they were building their departments, because we were only 90 people when I joined, and sort of how they worked across the business, and then eventually moved into the commercial side, thinking about how we could combine everything that we do yeah. you know, with content and with our audience to brands um, to build those connections. And then a year and a half ago, moved over to London to sort of build the strategy team here, which hadn't existed before, which has been amazing. Incredible. So, so much change as well within those seven years. Absolutely. It's kind of wild. Yeah. So I guess it's, you know, it's it's kind of a different business in many respects. Absolutely. It's like, you know, the idea of when I started, we had one conference room, I think, and we were in one office, one floor on the Lower East Side or the East Village. And then, you know, by the time I left New York, it was, we had a New York office, we had our LA office, London office. I think we had a Berlin office at the time. So much has changed and has transformed, which is kind of the nature of the business, I guess, when you're a fast growth company, but also kind of, you know, miraculous to actually live through an experience, (laughs) which has been cool. And still doing dance? Not as much as I uh, would like to say. I definitely, I have taken one dance class since moving to London. Um, Actually, uh, my boyfriend and I went together. He sort of was like trying to encourage me to get in it and volunteered to take a class with me. Um, But, uh, 
you know, being, I think, creative and artistic in other ways, for sure. And then I still have this idea that maybe I should start it again and I'll get back into it eventually. Yeah, for fun. And you said before joining Refinery29, you were a fan, you were a reader. Yeah. What kind of drew you specifically to Refinery29? I think the idea of its emphasis on self-expression, individuality, and personal style. Um, those were tenants that, of course, when I joined, you know, were talked about all the time. But even as a reader, I could tell that that's what the company cared about and mm. was communicating back to me as a reader. Um, so there was always something to inspire me or uh, give me an idea for something or, or start a conversation about something that I might have been interested in. So that could go anywhere from you know, outfit inspiration and like cool indie brands to shop or a new entrepreneurial woman that was starting a business or something sort of culturally relevant that was happening at the time. It felt like I could go to Refinery for all of that content and also that the content would speak to me in a way that wasn't patronizing, that mm. wasn't speaking down to me, that was actually just really informative and helpful and inclusive, which I appreciated because I don't think necessarily that all media at that time that was speaking to women was speaking in that way. It's very special in that respect, I think, Refinery29. Absolutely. I guess that kind of drove its birth, you know, perhaps not seeing that being available in the marketplace and, and catering to to that. Exactly. There was this, it's not that there wasn't women's media before, sure, right? Sure. It was the idea that, you know, you had all of these more traditional titles that were speaking to women, but they were talking about things in a way that you know, might not necessarily tap into how great you feel about yourself mm. or how great you want to feel about yourself. And so I think, especially in terms of the editorial and visual tone of voice, Kira and Christine were so focused on how can we speak in a way that feels relatable, that feels friendly, that feels not like without judgment. It's kind of crazy to think that that was a revolutionary idea <laughs> and that that was like something that uh, needed to happen. You, you would think that that should have always existed, mm. but I genuinely believe that Refinery was one of the first places that I was like, you know, I like how I'm being spoken to. And also it's kind of funny and it has personality and there's like, it's not too proper, you know, there's a real humanness to the way that the content speaks to people, which I think is great. Well, there's just sheer variety as well. I mean, today I was online looking at your original stories and, you know, the, the most recent four videos, you've got a piece on multicultural marriages next to a subculture style piece next to a piece profiling global female artists and then crazy beauty trends next to it. Absolutely. Which is just fantastic and exciting and amazing to have such breadth every day, really. Absolutely. Well, the, the other kind of crazy thing was this idea that or what might have sounded revolutionary at the time, but really should sound fundamental now, is that women are complex and women are <laughs> multidimensional and women can care about so many different ranges of things. Um, and that was something that we you know, held close right from the get-go, or at least from my time starting at the company. It was, we cater to everything that she's interested in, and that can be anything. Um, and that's not to make it sound like we're trying to be everyone, everything to everybody, but we know that there are so many different conversations that women are having every single day. So why can't we be part of all of those and reflect those back to her? Do you think that's kind of Refinery's role then within the digital landscape? Yes, absolutely. This idea. So we talk a lot about being audience first. We talk a lot about um, our audience being the boss of us. That's something that Amy really loves to say. <laughs> Amy, our chief content officer, who's fantastic um, and a visionary. And I would say... 
the idea of opening up conversations that hadn't been had before is definitely a role that we play. And the idea of bringing people into those conversations that weren't a part of those conversations before is the other one. So both like, let's talk about things that were taboo or let's talk about things that weren't, um, that were kind of awkward or maybe uncomfortable, but also let's make sure that people who haven't been spoken to before are part of that conversation and have a seat at the table and, uh, you know, feel invited and feel welcome. Do you think that has developed over the seven years that you've been in the business or do you think that was there from, from the get-go? I think it's become more refined. Okay. Um, wink, wink, um, okay. over the course of the business. I really think when I first joined, we were talking about self-expression, individuality, mm. and in that sense, that definitely fuels the conversations that we're trying to have. Understanding yourself as an individual, understanding how you express yourself, what you care about, the choices that you make in terms of what you put out to the world and your perspective we might've been talking about it a different way, but I think it's been consistent throughout and maybe refined over the past few years as we've become more and more uh, leaned into our mission that's sort of evolved. And kind of what else do you think makes it unique, um, you know, when thinking about Refinery in in terms of comparing it to other digital media platforms? Sure. Um, So we are digitally native. Mm. We were born um, not from a traditional print publication um, or a publishing house. So I think that is one important facet. Um, But we're also at the same time, one of the oldest and biggest digitally native publications, which means we've been around for 14 years, speaking to our audience for quite a while, listening to our audience for quite a while, um, which means that we're kind of in this unique position where there aren't that many digital media platforms that can say that, um, where they're kind of both at the cusp of something, but also kind of established. Yeah, it gives you authority in the space. Exactly, exactly. So I love I love that idea. And I think it's so important to emphasize that we've been able to have that conversation with our audience for so long and listen to them for so long. Um, I think another thing, which is probably pretty obvious, is that we're mission driven, Mm. um, that that has kind of like we were saying, been uh, embedded within our DNA since day dot. Um, you know, it has probably been refined and evolved over the years. And then the last or not last, but another thing would probably be that we are, though we're digitally native, I think we were one of, I think we were one of the first to think about how we could bring digital experiences and conversations and this feeling of inclusivity that we're having or relatability that we're having online into the offline world. So how could we think, oh, we're digital first, we're digital, we're digital but actually that should translate into real life yes, and that should translate into interactions between human beings. Um, and the same approach that we have to content and conversations online should be facilitated in the real world, real world as well. And you guys have an amazing events program as well, which I guess brings some of that to life. Exactly. Absolutely. The idea of, well, a lot of people know about 29 rooms, um, which is sort of our, uh, interactive fun house. It's annual. Um, it is open to the public. It's built on this idea of uh, creating, taking over this blank space and creating 29 different rooms that are created in partnership either with artists or with brands um, to combine cause and creativity and craft. Um, it's so much fun. Uh, have you been? I know, but I'm desperate you to go. You should absolutely go. Um, and we're think- we're bringing it eventually to Europe. I will talk about that more in a little bit. Fantastic. But that 
was born out of this idea of we want to throw a 10th anniversary party, but it's not just for us. It has to be for our audience as well. It has to be, um, you know, an extension of our mission, but also which includes not only this idea of conversation, but it includes being connected to the people that interact with us and choose us every single day. But I don't think people talk. One thing I don't think uh, many people talk about those even before 29 Rooms, um, there was this event that I remember we threw uh, during New York Fashion Week called R29 Country Club, um, which sounds, you know, it was during Fashion Week, it's called Country Club, sounds very exclusive, but the whole idea was that we wanted to create um, a mini golf course with each hole inspired by a different New York designer and pop up so that people could come and like play and wow. it was open to the public. So flipping this idea of Fashion Week being exclusive, country clubs being exclusive, and fusing creativity into it, and then making it accessible to everyone. Fantastic. I feel, I feel like people don't talk about that event that much, but it made such an impact on me. And I was like, this is so cool to see in the flesh. And it's a hard task bringing a kind of tone of voice that that sits in the digital sphere, you know, in, in that ether down into something physical. It's not an easy thing to do. No, not at all. And because it's, you know, what we keep saying is that these are tough conversations. Yeah. These are awkward and uncomfortable at sometimes, or they're unfamiliar. And so people say that it's easy to do that online because sure. you're hiding behind anonymity or you nobody knows who you are. It's hard enough to do it still online, but it's definitely not easy to translate into um, the third dimension. Yeah. But incredibly important to do so, I Absolutely, guess. absolutely. Has there ever been any talk of producing a kind of print version of Refinery? So we actually have a few print publications, um, you know, obviously not regularly occurring editions uh, or issues, but we have two books. Um, one of them is called Style Stalking. So it was about this idea of great style, personal style, self-expression through uh, the clothes that we wear. And then the second one most recently is about Money Diaries or off the Money Diaries franchise, which you mentioned earlier. Um, Money Diaries has been a huge success. Ginormous. Like, whoa. All my friends are obsessed with it, honestly. Good. It's like waiting every week for the next one. Amazing. Well, that's what we like to hear. But also, how can you not? Like, it's so fascinating. Yeah, it builds such an amazing picture of someone. You know, in terms of narrative, who would have thought that just going through exactly the spend sheet would create such a vivid picture of the person that you're reading about? Absolutely. And so we wanted to combine that sort of voyeurism and understanding of um, you know, individual experiences with um, service and tips and advice and recommendations on how you can manage your money or what to do with your money or answer questions about money. So it has manifested in this print publication and also in a few other digital spaces as well. We have Money Diaries Facebook groups, which are really interesting, where people are so engaged and so open and asking questions about raises, new homes, being laid off, yeah. um, money with their partner, um, negotiations, you know, all of those things, which is fascinating. So we have that print issue, but then we can keep the conversation going online. They kind of fuel each other in a way, yeah. which is great. No, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, they connect. Yeah. There's, a, there's a connection between them. Moving on then to challenges, I guess. So, you know, we hear a lot about um, the challenges that digital media is facing. There are often headlines about, you know, reduced attention spans, content overload, etc. Kind of from your perspective, what are some of the biggest challenges that you think the world of media faces today? So I think this is interesting, especially the idea of reducing attention spans, reducing attention spans 
because I'm not actually sure that that's necessarily true, uh, especially if you're serving value providing content. Yes. So the idea that, you know, just inherently people have shorter attention spans, I think is an incomplete portrayal of the picture. Um, it, we have seen at least that if you give your audience content that's, you know, valuable, which could be entertaining, inspiring, informative, any of those things, thought provoking, then they will stick around and they will dwell on it or they'll watch a lot of it. Um, we have this really great video series called Shady. Uh, have you heard of it? No. So it's this, it's about the darker side of the beauty industry, you know, and of course the beauty industry is one that is so glamorous and this idea of like perfection and how you portray yourself without any flaws. But in fact, it goes into some of the um, uh, more deeper sides of the industry, including in 10 to 15 minute long videos. So they're not short, um, they're not snackable, um, <laughs> but we are seeing that conversations like what beauty is like behind prison bars got 3 million views plus. So, or the truth about where hair extensions come from, which is fascinating, has over 10 million views. So I would say this whole idea of attention spans shortening is, um, I would just question whether that's actually like a challenge, it's, I would say the bigger challenge is how do you make sure that everything you're putting out there provides value yes. and is impactful to the audience that you're talking to? Yeah, maybe it's not that attention spans are shrinking, it's people are wanting to be more thoughtful in what they're choosing to engage with, I exactly, guess. Exactly, exactly. And that's not, you know, it's a challenge, but in a way it's a, well, it should be a welcome challenge. You should yeah. be kind of up for the idea of, okay, I need to make something of quality yeah. or of substance or of help or meaning. Because these guys aren't going to necessarily passively consume it. Do you think that's something that's kind of coming through with the younger generations that are now content consumers, you know, thinking about Gen Z and then Gen Alpha as well. Which is that is what they're coming, called? That's, yeah, that's what they're currently called. Okay, great. It might, Good to know. It might develop, but yeah, they're the, they're the first group of millennial children. Got it. Um, so, so yeah, do you think they are kind of pushing the change in, in how we're consuming content? I think so. I think basically these generations are born in the digital world. Mm. They have content and information and inspiration at their fingertips constantly. Um, access has been democratized. And so the idea of well, now somebody has to make something that makes me want to pick it, that makes me want to watch it. Absolutely. It's fundamental to, you know, whether it's fundamental to the individuals in the generation or just the nature of the times that we're entering, where everybody now that's growing up doesn't actually under appreciate maybe what it was like to not have a world <laughs> that was like that. It means that they can be demanding and choosy and have expectations and want those expectations to be met. Well, and expect it immediately and for free a lot of the time sure. as well. Yeah. Well, I think that will be, you know, a very interesting thing that we see in media over the next, you know, few years, which is how are we continuing to sustain business models when, like you're saying, a lot of the future generations will be expecting content, quality content yes. for free. We'll see. Yeah. I think we'll come on to talk about that a little bit Absolutely. more. Absolutely. Um, well, thinking back to your editorial days, and, and I'm sure you're, you're already still involved with this, but thinking about Refinery29's process uh, when it comes to choosing topics to feature, you know, what, what is the process that goes into, into deciding what to, what to profile? Sure. It's so funny because 
I'm going to say process. And I'm so aware that I keep saying process instead of process. But anyway, but um, so at Refinery, we pride ourselves on marrying editorial instinct with audience insight. So this idea that we can look at the 14 years of conversations and listening that we've been doing with our audience and understand trends or peaks in what engages and what resonates. Um, we have all of that data that we can really tap into, but it's not just a cookie cutter algorithm or formula that you can um, exploit. It is about marrying that with the editorial creativity and vision that our fantastic team have. And they're so tapped into culture. They're so empathetic. They're so interesting themselves and curious about the world that having that really superb team that instinctively is that way, and then being able to marry that with the audience insight and the data, I would say that's sort of the process. It's a bit of an art and a science combined together. And it sounds like ideas can come from anywhere, you know? It sounds like when you first started, you were still contributing ideas to Absolutely. that became features. I think I love, and I remember hearing this, I think I remember hearing Piera say this a lot, but this idea of good ideas can come from anywhere absolutely was a tenant mm. of the organization within the walls. So this idea of within the organization, raise your hand. If you have an idea, like say it out loud. Um, but then of course, without the outside of the wall. So let's listen across all of our channels, you know, to everybody. Let's make sure that we're we're really um, open mm. to whatever we're hearing or whatever the possibilities are in terms of good ideas. Because like you said, especially if it's a culturally tapped in team, exactly, anyone can spot something that can inspire a fantastic piece. Absolutely. Thinking about that fantastic variety we spoke about earlier, does that sort of come naturally or do you kind of try and make an active effort to make sure that, okay, we haven't had a style piece for a little while, let's make sure that's included next, et cetera. Does that kind of play a role? I think there is, absolutely. So understanding balance, this maybe is what you're getting yes, at, yeah, this absolutely. idea of wanting to make sure that um, both on our site, on our platforms, in our newsletter, we're providing a nice content mix um, is definitely thought about by both our editorial team and our audience insights team. So being able to curate content and provide it to her, serve it to her in a way that we think is going to be engaging. And that requires thought and strategy and empathy and understanding of, of who we're talking to, for sure. And what have been some of your favorite pieces going back through the back catalog of Refining 29? Oh man, favorite pieces. It's hard to pick out individual stories necessarily, but because I feel like there's a, there are a lot of topics um, that we've talked about and um, sort of narratives and conversations, I think, that we've sparked that are so meaningful. And that's sort of how I tend to think we have this really great series or really great um, effort to spark a conversation, which means that we had to include a lot of different conversations or pieces within that. An example might be a campaign that was launched in the UK called Your Vagina's Fine. Um, <laughs> I remember the like, campaign. Am I allowed to say vagina on a podcast? You are absolutely allowed to say vagina. <laughs> um, but it was an editorial temple published in response to the rise of this idea of vaginal rejuvenation procedures, which were being marketed as being very accessible and easy and yeah. good for you and aspirational, absolutely. And we had an investigative piece, um, you know, we had a lot of commentary on it and, and different perspectives on it. And 
there was just, it wasn't one story necessarily, but it was this whole initiative and a whole conversation that we were sparking about how this was really unacceptable and um, something that we wanted to call out that we were seeing in the world. Also so that people who might be the recipients of marketing or advertising um, hear that that's not the only message, Mm. that this being the aspiration really is not the only message out there. We need to start these conversations about how to to balance that out. Um, Another really fantastic sort of conversation that we were having um, was called Lonely Girls Club. It was an initiative that we did early this earlier this year where we heard or we knew that, you know, despite how connected people feel because of social media and, and digital media and access um, through those channels, loneliness has become an endemic amongst young people. And so we created a whole week of content dedicated to fostering understanding and again, empathy around the fact that this is real, that this exists. It shouldn't seem weird that just because you have social media and easier connections to people that people still feel this way Mm -hmm. um, and that people are grappling with that and that it can be overwhelming. It can be quite emotional. Um, So to try and start those conversations where people felt heard and, you know, maybe a little bit open to something that they didn't know was happening before in the time. I always admire so much that you guys take risks and aren't afraid of you know, putting a point of view across on some, you know, quite controversial topics. Um, and there must be risk involved, especially when you're coming up against brands, you know, in the first example, you were you were saying that kind of pushing a certain message and you're not agreeing with that. But I guess, you know, it always comes to what is Refinery 29's take on this. And, and that is kind of what you push forward. Absolutely. And I think one thing that you asked earlier, I think, is what refi- what's what role does Refinery29 play in the digital media space? And I think one thing we can really say we've been doing and will continue to do is try to be brave yes. and try to continue to start these conversations that haven't been had before in a way that might not have been had before. So if you think of that core principle, that can kind of give you the courage to make some of these just tough decisions because you know that there's a bit of a responsibility to our audience in there. And we want to be a great example of how you can have these conversations also in a respectful, you know, considerate, again, open way, but that can help. It, it is definitely not without, like you said, risk or, um, you know, potential response, negative response, but that also, I guess, is part of the process mm. to start the conversation to get people talking. Well, especially with social media. I mean, I was getting lost in your Instagram this morning and there's some amazing posts over the last week, you know, relating to the reproductive rights problems going on in the US at the moment. And just really insightful, fresh from the ground, talking to real people from there. And you're right, you go in the comment section and there's always going to be clapback, but it's important work, I think, to be pushing that message forward to your readers. Absolutely. The comments section can be such a fascinating world. Yes. In addition to the great content that we're publishing, the conversation that's happening in the comments is so important. You get additional perspectives, Mm. additional insight, additional context, additional um, points of view by reading through the comments. Absolutely. Because I guess the posts act as sparks, don't they, for people then to bring their own opinions too. And you're right, the comment section sort of facilitates that. Exactly, it? exactly. And I love that idea of it being like, okay, we have we have all these seats at the table now. Yeah. Who wants to come? Who wants to talk? And talk with each other. 
not just talking at each other. And then kind of moving on to thinking about your current role. So, so brand partnerships uh, and client services. What do you think makes Refinery29's approach to advertising and brand partnerships different to other media outlets? I would say we put a strong emphasis on ensuring that our editorial content and our branded content meet the same creative standard. Yes. Um, this idea of, obviously, we care so much about our audience. We care so much about the way in which we're speaking to them. Um, that has to translate into the ways in which we're working with clients. And I think we believe fundamentally that if we are sparking meaningful conversations with our audience and we are finding authentic ways into which we can incorporate those brands or bring those brands um, or open a seat at the table up for those brands into that conversation, then actually there won't be you know, this resistance to it that people will actually be very open to it. Um, so we try to find ways in which the brand can be a part of a relevant conversation that she's interested in um, so that we can be the facilitator of that connection rather than just trying to convince her that she should just care about a brand or care about a product just because. Um, One really cool thing that I actually really wanted to share was that we have this audience panel called Mad Chatter. Um, It's this massive super user panel of people that come, you know, and are loyal to Refinery29, love the brand so much. And we ask them sort of, why do you participate in Mad Chatter? And why did you join the panel? And actually three quarters of our audience panel joined because they love Refinery29, which is fantastic. But then monetary incentives were the factor that they said they cared about the least. It wasn't about getting free stuff or um, free perks. Above that actually was the desire to help brands speak to their demographic correctly or understand how they should or understand, provide feedback on how they had been doing that thus far. So we genuinely believe that there's this massive opportunity to have meaningful conversations with our audience and brands all together and that we can help facilitate that. Well, it just seems like a lot of research goes into making these smart decisions. I mean, like I was reading about the 29th. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about that? The 29th launched last year as a way to tap into everything that we do on the branded content and editorial side, but sort of on a larger scale for brands and not necessarily in content that has to be um, reflective of both the Refinery29 brand and the client brand. So we are able to take all the insight that we know about culture and audiences and great content outside the ecosystem of Refinery29 as well and create great partnerships, activations, content, everything, um, strategy for those brands. So we're kind of extending the impact, the great thought that we have beyond just the ecosystem of Refinery29 and putting that out farther into the world. Gotcha. And do you have a kind of criteria when looking for brands to partner within this space? Definitely. So we, at the core of it, we're always looking for partners who want exactly that, to partner with us. This idea of, you know, entering into an opportunity together. And that means being collaborative, being open, being a bit trusting, um, providing feedback in a way that means that they believe that we're on this journey with them. We love this idea of we meet brands where they are and we ask them to go on this journey with us and help us understand. um, And maybe actually they will understand this as we go through this process together, but 
what is it that they offer? How is that different and valuable? Mm. Um, what message are they trying to send? What have they been doing thus far that actually stands by that message um, and shows that they mean it? And why should their audience care? Why should our audience care? So those might sound like somewhat scary questions to yeah. ask when you have this client in the room, but I think they really show that that's how we're approaching things. We want to get to the heart of what is it you're trying to achieve yes. and then marry that with, well, great, we have all of this insight. We have all of this creative power and ambition and we want something, we want to build something that's going to work for you. Um, and then we can package it up and make it happen. So that kind of message is what informs the type of content that you produce with this client, you know, whether it's publishing, assets, influencer content, et cetera. Exactly. It always ends up tying back to what are you trying to achieve? What are you trying to say? Um, how can we then marry that back into something that we know is really relevant, that she cares about, yes. that she's interested in right now? And, you know, once we know what that topic is, should we activate that on this platform, that platform, in this format, in video, in photos? Should we bring influencers into the mix because that will add another layer of advocacy? Should we make it in IRL event so that we can have that conversation together in real time. Mm. I am very fortunate to lead a team of incredible strategic thinkers who are so dedicated and kind of jazzed about the um, puzzle that is mm. how do we map what we can do, the best of what we can do to your ambition, to your goals and build something together. And I guess that's when knowing what is at the heart of Refining 29 is so important because I guess it informs, you know, those decisions. Absolutely. Because you want to be able to think about the best, biggest yes. thing possible. And, and, and that might sound so, you know, rosy and, and blue sky, but why not? We want to be able to say, okay, we hear where you want to go. We're excited about that ambition and that journey that you want to be on. And we think we can help you. We think we can um, create something with you. That even saying that, I'm like, that's exciting, right? I think that sounds cool. hundred percent. And it's working as well time and time again. Thinking about access then, so Refinery of 29, as we've discussed, is fantastic at embracing new technologies, new initiatives. That I really do think are changing the way that people are experiencing and accessing content. Um, you know, how important do you think it is to embrace these new technologies? We love new technology. Um, we're, you know, we're we're a digital media company. We've grown up with new technology constantly being brought to the surface, you know, left, right, and center. So we appreciate it, we see it, we experience it, and it has helped Refinery in so many ways, both internally and externally. So it helps how we operate, it helps how we understand our audience, um, but it also helps, and it also helps facilitate more communications, facilitate more conversations and experiences with our audience. So 100% definitely think it's important to embrace new technologies. At the same time, I would say to be a lasting next-gen media company that really goes the distance, it's also about being confident in what you can offer and, and the conversations that you are having so that you're not chasing a shiny new toy or a um, trend. It's thinking about where you can have those lasting and meaningful conversations with your audience, which is also why, you know, what might sound like traditional avenues, but our newsletter mm. is still so key to yes. us. And one of the 
greatest ways that we can speak to her, um, as well as those IRL experiences. Um, you know, the idea of an event might sound not digital, but it's so fundamental to how we connect to her. Well, it's, it's that point we've been talking about, isn't it? It's purpose first, meaning first, not just going for a gimmick, you know? There Absolutely. are all these new technologies. It's not about just trying it out, you know? Exactly. It's got to enhance, I guess, the content that you're giving. Exactly. And there's room for R&D. There's room for testing and trying sure, things sure. out and experimenting and playing and having fun and being creative. But I think when you're thinking about where do you really want to then invest your time or uh, build a strategy and understand how you're going to incorporate that into your ecosystem, that's where I think finding those places that you think will last is important. And thinking specifically about social media and kind of visual social media, you know, which is just so massive at the moment, how do you feel like that is changing the way we consume content? So I feel like social media in general has opened up so many doors and inspired so much creative creativity. Yeah. Um, it's opened up the opportunity for people to play and experiment and to express themselves and share their experiences and point of view, points of view, which is of course really important for Refinery29. We've also been very aware of and committed to the power of visual storytelling. Um, so whether that's through illustration or design or animation, short videos, long films, we've appreciated the uh, importance of that and the impact of that. So we've been always committed to marrying that with what works best specifically as a visual on each platform um, within the social space. But in terms of how we consume content, I'm actually fascinated by this idea of visual intelligence. Um, the idea that you can process an image, I think it's like 60,000 times faster than you can process text. Wow. Um, and there's just, you know, there are so many different things that make that up. But of course now, if we're inundating our brains so much more with visual content um, and we're changing our habits of how many of those quick fire visual interactions we're having, then we need to think about, okay, how is that inf visual information actually making an impact? What are we remembering? What are we taking away? What are we forgetting? What are we extrapolating as being important that we then pass on? Um, so I feel like there is a really interesting space around thinking about, yes, everyone, the idea of visual marketing or visual storytelling is not necessarily new, but to what we were talking about earlier, this idea of when you have so much more of it because of the rise of digital and social, how do you make sure that what you are communicating visually is impactful or lasting. And it's content in itself, isn't it? It's not like we've got to get a great image to uh, you know, represent this post so then people will go to the post. It's all about the images in themselves, I guess, being enough to say the message. Definitely. I, my friend was sort of playing with, she was desperately, she's addicted to Instagram as many people are. And she was sort of Googling how to, how to tackle this. And the number one um, sort of method was, was saying, turn your phone into black and white mode, because apparently Instagram's really boring in black and white. Interesting. Which I'd never thought to do. Maybe but, um, I should try that. I've actually, um, I mean, I love Instagram, but I also am a little addicted. And so to try and curb my addiction, I've moved the app to sort of the end of my pages <laughs> so that it's not necessarily um the That's first thing idea. that i open yeah it has made a difference but uh very interesting about the idea too of googling how do you overcome your instagram yeah. addiction <laughs> definitely want to look into what the search it's quite hits yeah. return it's quite inception isn't it just yeah. like the just lost well moving on then kind of to our next topic representation um and ability as well so you guys 
really make an effort to make sure that your content is available to as many people as possible. Kind of how important do you feel like accessibility is at Refinery29? Super important. And I and I am so glad that you feel like it's very clear that we make that effort because it is so important to us. And we really do mean all we say we are a publisher for millennial women or a platform for millennial women, but we include men and we, you know, we want men to join in the, those conversations as well, because the mission that we have is not necessarily going to be achieved if we're only speaking to women and we're not um, including men in that conversation. We talk about millennial and then we've been talking about millennial minded. And then we've talked about the fact that actually those demographics aren't important. Mm. That's not necessarily who we're speaking to um, or how we're defining who we're speaking to anymore because we want to be accessible and inclusive. Like I was saying earlier, we know that women are complex and multidimensional. It also means that we're thinking about intersectionality all of the time and trying to instill empathy empathy in everything we do. Um, I also think something that we've been talking a lot about recently, which I really appreciate is this idea that we recognize that the burden of creating representation or being inclusive doesn't solely live with those who are underrepresented. Mm -hmm. So this idea of it's not just about underrepresented or marginalized communities fighting their way into a conversation. Um, It has to be about uh, opening doors, getting that seat at the table, inviting people in um, so that we are all able to feel like we're a part of this, we're inclusive, and and that we're speaking to all. And I guess it's the best way of, tr- of sort of catering to a diverse audience, isn't it? It's creating diversity in the content you create. Absolutely. It's always been important to us, um, I would say, to think about that. And how we do it evolves and changes as we learn as well ourselves about, um, you know, whether it's about how we're thinking about our casting, whether that's about how we're thinking about our internal, you know, policies, hiring um, policy or hiring structures or processes. Um, You know, we have committees uh, and a global diversity and inclusion council that is very committed to championing the sparking those conversations internally. And we have so many Slack channels uh, uh, dedicated to open to all and dedicated to having those conversations within the walls um, so that we can really be living and breathing everything that we're you know, we've been so focused on putting out into the world inside as well. So it fuels each other. I think that's a massive point. That's something we talk about quite a lot. And I think people are getting more and more clued up to it. You know, yes, you're showing diversity in your ads and your campaigns, but you know, what is it like internally? And people I think are doing their digging, they're investigating more now than they ever have before. Which when you're talking about brand partnerships, that's those, that's why those questions are so important to ask. Sometimes a bit tricky and sometimes yeah. a bit awkward, but great, you're saying you want to stand for this thing, but what are you actually doing? What have you been doing? What are you committed to? Yes. We ask that of our partners. We turn that mirror back on ourselves to make sure that we're up to snuff um, as well. So 100% think it's super, super important. And our final topic then, the future. Da, da, da. It's all very exciting. <laughs> How do you, big question, how do you see the media landscape kind of changing over, let's say, the next 50 years? (laughs) (laughs) Go. Um, uh, Honestly, I can barely predict what's (laughs) going to happen in the next five years. I mean, you know, you heard from the beginning I had 
no idea that I would be here when I graduated yeah, from uni cool. and so much can change. And, you know, well, that's very about very much about me and my individual experience, but also, you know, the internet didn't exist 50 years ago. There are so much that can change. Um, and I think our approach is that should be okay. And that should be the exciting aspect of the world that we live in and the industry that we're in. What I do to answer your question though, uh, what I do think will be really interesting to see how, to see what comes of these conversations or how these conversations shape the media landscape over the next few years will be things like policy and privacy um, and data and how that is mapped to the open conversations, the access um, that the internet and the digital space have provided us. So how is that being determined? Who's determining um, this? What are the guidelines? What are the potential biases that are in those rooms and with the decision makers? How, what are the actual decisions? You know, all of that I think will be um, very important to stay tuned into and Mm. will be really impactful. The idea also of the media landscape, you know, I think we're going through an era of new businesses rising, of mergers and acquisitions. Um, And so the ways in which organizations and businesses are structured, that is, I think, also going to change um, and be very interesting to witness over the next few years. We're seeing it already, of course. Yeah. I think the thing to remember is that traditional media and new media are not necessarily in competition with each other. They can really um, complement each other. And so, you know, call me an optimist, but I'm um, very excited to see the cool new ways in which uh, organizations can fuel each other for a strange but fascinating new future. Speaking of strange and fascinating new future, I think the third thing would be artificial intelligence Mm. and how that um, can be built responsibly, for sure, going back to that privacy and policy um, conversation, but also how it can fuel the work that we're doing, serve the purpose that we want. I went to this talk last night about AI and creativity and this idea, there was this term called cobotics, um, the idea that we are collaborating or existing collaboratively with robots. Cobotic. Yeah. Wow. Whoa. And so that's fascinating. Like who knows what's going to happen and how can we make sure that that technology is helping shape what our core mission is and what we're trying to achieve um, in the future. What I don't think will change is the emphasis on great storytelling, the impact that we want to make through our content, through our narratives. That will stay the same. I think that's only going to grow that need for storytelling. And we can see that in so many different areas. You know, the explosion of streaming platforms um, just shows that the interest is there and only going to grow, I think. Absolutely. If you think about an audience as people who want great content, that's infinite, yes. right? That's, every, that's everyone. Oh, that's the and so, that's, exactly. That's what, yeah. So great can... storytelling is something that everybody wants to engage in. Exactly. So, it's kind of endless the opportunity if you're, if you're a core, is how do we tell really great stories? Yeah. As long as we're staying human, you know, that sort of built into yeah. our DNA, I think, isn't it? Absolutely. And I guess, you know, Refinery 29 has never been afraid or stepped away from embracing new technologies, trying new things. So, I guess I can't really wait to see what you guys do over the next 50 years. Me too, me too. And kind of what's coming up from Refining 29 that we can, you know, look forward to maybe in, in the shorter in term. The, yeah, <laughs> I was say, well, in the next 
next few months. So we are actually in expanding internationally. Um, so within the coming weeks, we're going to be launching a local language site um, in France. In the coming weeks? Yes. How fantastic. So, you know, that is tied to the idea that we just want to continue to expand the conversations that we're having globally. Yes. Um, we have sites, uh, of course, uh, in North America. We have a Canadian edition. We have our uh, UK edition and German edition. Exactly. So France is next. And then more to come um, after that, which just is super exciting again for me as it's so inherently tied to what we're all about. These yeah. conversations that should hopefully just get bigger and farther and wider and become so expansive. Um, we're also, and we actually talked about this earlier, going to be bringing or expanding 29 rooms. So we have this really exciting partnership with IMG, which means that we're going to be able to take 29 rooms to a global audience bring that to the world in a way that's bigger than ever before, which is great. This idea of sites, the digital sites expanding globally yeah. and then the IRL experiences kind of- Hand in hand, yeah. Exactly. Do we know when rooms are arriving? I do not know, slash I'm not sure if <laughs> you I'm could, able yeah, to, say. to say. But in soon. <laughs> but soon, yeah, absolutely. I'll give you a call as soon as I know. Please do. And then definitely the idea of great content, or you know, just keep checking back. There's always going to be new stories, new narratives, new visuals. Yeah, I don't doubt it. Samantha, this has been a complete pleasure. Honestly, I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours. It's honestly so insightful and interesting. So I can't thank you enough for your time today. Thank you so much. That was so fun. Thank you. Bye.